We want to welcome everyone to tonight's study of the book of Revelation. We'll be in chapter number 15 tonight. Chapter 15, we'll be going through verses 1 through 8. That's just a little bit of introduction and kind of a, uh, going back and catching everybody up. Revelation, the book of Revelation reveals that there's a terrible time coming to this earth in the end of times. So terrible that Christ himself des described it as the, the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. Revelation uses some of the descriptive language to describe this period. It calls the judgment of this period, uh, the period of trumpet judgments, the picturing the blast judgments. There have been seven trumpet judgments so far altogether. But when that seventh trumpet blasted, an amazing thing happened. There was no immediate blast of judgment. Instead, an overall picture of the end time was shown forth in chapter number 14. And before that, we saw in chapter number 12, there was the picture of Israel being chosen as the nation to which God would send his son into the world, the picture of Jesus Christ coming to the earth to save the world. Also in, in chapter number 12, we saw there was the picture of the dragon, the old serpent, who's called the devil, Satan, working to get men to be ungodly and evil, all because he wants to cut and hurt the heart of God. Chapter number 13, we saw the picture of the Antichrist and his right-hand man coming upon the, the earth. The picture of how they would gain considerable power over the whole earth and launch the world's worst holocaust throughout all of history. Nothing like anything has, like this has ever been seen before. And then there was the glorious picture of the very end of the world in chapter number 14 where we see Jesus, Jesus Christ triumphing over all the ungodly and evilness. We see the picture of God's wrath being poured out. We see Christ harvesting the, the earth, taking his final believers to heaven with him and taking those unbelievers for judgment. Now we see the seventh judgment. And then when the seventh, the seventh trumpet, rather, when it blasts forth the judgments, it will bring forth the worst judgments that we've seen so far. Remember, the tribulation period is broken up into two separate periods of time. Yeah, that the first three and a half years, um, generally called the beginning of sorrows, and then the second three and a half years, which is where we're at right now, we see that's called the great tribulation. There'll be in the first seven years or the first three and a half years, there were the the seven seal judgments take place upon the earth. We detailed that through chapter six through seven. When the tribulation or the great tribulation itself begins, the final three and one half years, there'll be seven trumpet judgments, which will take place upon the earth. That's detailed through verses eight or chapters eight through 14. Then at the very end of the tribulation, there'll be seven more judgments. The seven vile or bold judgments will be poured out upon the earth. This passage that we're gonna look at tonight is the heavenly preparation for the judgment what's taking place immediately before this judgment is poured out upon the earth. In chapter number 15 of the book of Revelation, we'll start with verse number one. It says, I, and I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up with the wrath of God. So we see these, these angels appearing, this awesome sign in, in heaven. Is designed to stir people up. It's, it's designed to get people to bow down before God, who is just. God is love. 
but he's also just. One of the big failings with the church nowadays is that we focus a lot upon the love of God, but we fail to focus upon the fact that God is also just. There's two sides of that equation. And to focus more upon one than the other, we shortchange people. We need to understand that God's not just love, that he is also just. And being just, there are certain things that will happen, certain things that we can't do, and certain things that he must do. We, As mankind, we must be prepared, ready to repent and get ready before it's too late. The problem with just talking about love, it, it keeps everybody happy, but love doesn't motivate motivate people to repentance. And we need to let people know that God is not just love, he's also just, and they must prepare. They must repent. They must get ready before it's too late. Jesus talked about this extensively in Matthew 3, 2. He said, repent ye for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In Luke 13, 3, he said, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Mankind doesn't like that word repent, because that word repent means a change. It means not just a, a change of, of opinion or a change of attitude. It means a change of heart. And when our heart changes, our mind changes. When our mind changes, our feet change, meaning that it, a, a true repentance leads to a, a true change in the person. It's not just a feeling of remorse or a feeling of regret because something bad has happened to us, but true repentance is a change. It's a change of direction, and it changes our feet. When the drug addict repents of his drug addiction, he moves away from that drug addiction, not into that drug addiction more. I'm afraid that many people claim the name of Jesus Christ that have never repented. They claim to be Christians, but they've never actually taken that time to, to repent of their sins. One of the saddest things I heard our former president, Trump, say was when asked about repentance, if he'd ever repented of his sins, he kind of looked uh, almost confused. And he said, why would I repent? I've never done anything wrong. That's a startling statement. Unfortunately, you know, he's bold enough and brash enough to actually say it. Most people aren't that bold and that brash, but they live their lives that way. They claim to believe in God. They claim to believe in Jesus Christ but they don't believe that they've ever done anything that's worthy of hell. They don't believe they've done anything that they should be repenting for because they spend their lives comparing themselves to other people in the world instead of comparing themselves to Jesus Christ. And we compare ourselves to Jesus Christ, we come up short very, very quickly. And we need to, to refocus ourselves and understand that, that we are not worthy of God. And his love doesn't make us worthy. Our repentance and acceptance of what he's done for us makes us worthy. We become worthy. We put on his cloak of righteousness. Let's continue on. Chapter number 15, verse number two. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then that he gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only 
art holy. For all nations shall come and worship before thee, for the judgments are made manifest. So we see in the end times, the believers will be there. The believers are actually the reason for this last series of judgments. The beast, the Antichrist will have lost, will have launched and lost, they'll have launched the worst holocaust this world has ever seen. We've seen holocausts, most notably, we, we, when we think of the holocaust, we, we think of the, the German holocaust against the Jews. Um, there were also millions of Christians that were involved in that holocaust that were also killed. Millions and millions of people that were killed because either of their race or their beliefs. But at this end time, we're going to see something even worse than that. Worse than the uh, Holocaust of the abortion situation that we face today. This will be a, a Holocaust that will not just touch one area of the world or one nation of the world. This will be a worldwide Holocaust. And it will be launched by the beast, the Antichrist. These verses show some things about these believers that are in heaven. Note four things about them. First of all, the martyr believers are, will be on a sea of glass that stretches out before the throne of God. And we saw this, this sea of glass back in chapter number four. Uh, we're not going to go back through everything on that at this time. But notice this the, says the glass is mingled with fire here. This fire symbolizes two things. It's the fire of the persecution for those dear believers and what they went through that got them into heaven. But it's also the fire of judgment against those, the fire of judgment that's about to fall upon the ungodly and the evil of this world. The martyr believers that we see there will be those that are victorious over the Antichrist. They will not have worshipped his image. They will not have received his mark. They have not received the number of his name, that 666 number. We detailed through these in chapter number 13. True believers in the end times will not follow the Antichrist. They will refuse the worship of, of the government. They will refuse his worship um, of the state and of the leader. They will stand against it. And because of this, they will be killed. Remember, again, th this Holocaust isn't something that's just covering a local community or a state or a nation. This is a worldwide Holocaust. There will be millions who are going to be executed because they refuse to worship the state, because they refuse to worship the Antichrist. The end result of this is it gets to a point where God can take no more, where that final tick on his timer ticks, and his wrath is going to be poured out. He's going to step in and stop the foolishness, stop the evil of mankind. He's going to stop the evil rule and set up his kingdom upon this earth. It says the martyr will possess harps. I think this is where we get the image of when people die, they go sit on clouds and wear diapers and play harps. I think this might be where that comes from. I don't know. This is the only place I can see where there's anything even close to it. But but understand what harps are. Harps, it, it's again symbolic. Much of what we, we see in the book of Revelation is symbolic. And these harps are very symbolic because harp music is soothing and it's restful. And it's a picture of these that were persecuted so horribly here on the earth that they finally have rest. They finally have peace. They're also instruments that are used for praising. And, and they're being they're using these instruments not just for their own rest, but they're also using these instruments as, as a form of praising and worshiping God. We see music throughout the word of God as being a, a one way that, that we worship. And that's what they're doing here. Their pain will be gone and they're praising God because of it. 
says that martyr believers will sing two great songs of victory, the song of the Lamb and the song of Moses that was sung by the children of Israel when they crossed the Red Sea. That song is in the Word of God. If you want to jot this down and go back to it at some point, it's in Exodus chapter 15. The first 19 verses of that chapter is a song. It's a song that the children of Israel sang. Now, because it's been translated from its original language into English, it doesn't necessarily sound very poetic or very song-like, but once you realize it's a song, you can kind of see that there is a rhythm to it, even after it's translated into our language. They'll sing to the Almighty God, this tells us. Verse 3 says, And they sing a song of Moses, the servant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. They sing to the king of the saints, or the nations, to justice and the truth of his ways. Just and true, it tells us in, in chapter, in verse number three, just and true are thy ways, thou king of saints. They'll sing to the Lord, to the fear and glory of his name. Verse four says, who shall fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy names. They sing to the holy and just God. For all the nations shall come and worship him. This is actually a, a, a look forward in verse number four, the second part. It says, for thou art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. This is actually a peek forward into what they're going to see during the millennial reign when all, all nations will be under the authority of God. Let's keep reading along. Verse number five. Chapter number 15, verse number five says, and after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was open. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. So we see this amazing picture, this picture of the wrath of God that's about to be poured out. It says the, the door of the, of the temple or the tabernacle is open. The, the, the temple or the tabernacle, that's a picture. It refers to the inner sanctum of the temple. In the Old Testament, when they had the, the temple in the wilderness, they had an area called the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. And this is a picture of where this judgment is coming. In essence, it's the judgment of God will come from the most holy place, from the very presence and the very heart of God himself. This isn't just an angel that's bringing this or, or some earthly body that's bringing this. This wrath is coming from God's heart. This is God's heart being poured out. This is the seven angels come out from the most holy place out of God's own presence. The scene is terrifying. They hold seven plagues in their hands. They're dressed in, in pure white. That pure white linen is a sim symbolism of holiness. Not their holiness, but the holiness of God. They represent God's holiness, his righteousness, his justice, which is now about to be exercised, poured out literally upon this world. It says they have golden girdles or golden belts. It's a symbol of royalty. It's a symbol of authority. When you see gold in the Bible, it's the symbol of authority and power meaning that they have the authority and power given to them by God to pour out these wraths. The seven angels are given seven vials. Vials, in this context, could also be um, translated as bowls. 
So if you're not sure what a vial is, it can be a vial or it can be a bowl. The picture is the same. It, it's bowls that are filled with the wrath of God. The idea is that with a bowl, there's no covering to it. So there's no lid that can stop it. There's nothing that can stop this wrath from being poured out. Anybody that tries to stop what's being poured out of these bowls would, in essence, be, be covered with whatever it is that's coming out of the bowls. They'll be poured out without any constriction. There won't be any anything to stop them. It's an open vial. It's an open bowl. When it's poured out, it's poured out completely. It's poured out quickly. It's poured out efficiently. Nothing will be able to stop the bowl judgments of God. Nothing will be able to stand in their way. These things will happen. The door to the temple, it talks about... It talks about the door to the temple of God will be closed. In essence, this is the picture that during this time, there will be no salvation upon the earth. Nobody will enter into the temple. Nobody will be saved during this period of time. This is also emphasizes the fact that in, during the tribulation period, up until this time, it was possible for people to accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. We've seen that over and over again. There, there are theologians out there that will debate this. I say that once Jesus Christ comes back at the rapture, there is no no opportunity for people to be saved. The Bible doesn't doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches just the opposite. We see opposite of that. We see millions that get saved during the tribulation period. But here at this point, while these judgments are being poured out, it's too late. This isn't about love anymore. This isn't about mercy anymore. This isn't about the grace of God. Those things are withdrawn <clears throat> and prayers for mercy will do no good. This is, a, this is a terrifying thought. The world has never existed at a point where God's love and mercy wasn't available to it. Now, you can say in the Old Testament it was different, and it was different. Our relationship with God in the Old Testament was different, but we still, even in the Old Testament, had the opportunity for grace. We had the opportunity for mercy. For those who were genuinely called upon the Lord, there was an opportunity. That stops here. The door to heaven and salvation is closed. The judgment of God will be falling upon the Antichrist, the ungodly, his evil followers. Notice how, how descriptive this scene is. The, the glory and the power of God shines brighter than the sun itself becomes so furious and so hot that, that instead of that shining light, it's smoke that's pouring out of the temple. No man will be able to enter into the temple during this time. God's presence stops it. It'll be too late. We see this thought carried through the Bible by Jesus Christ himself in John chapter 3, verse 36. It says, he that believeth on the Son shall have everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. In Romans, we see in Romans chapter 1, verse 8, it says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold truth and unrighteousness. Ephesians 5, 6 says, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. We've read these verses over and over again, but us picturing the wrath of a, of a loving, just, merciful father is difficult for us to picture. That's what makes this passage of, of scripture so terrifying, because those attributes that we, we attribute to our father those are attributes that won't be there at this time. Those are things that are going to cease to exist here for those that are left here on the earth. We're going to stop right there tonight, and we'll get into next week 
we'll get into those bold judgments as they start to pour out their judgments upon the earth.